chapter 13, verse 1 through 17, as we begin our series in the parables called Tales of the Kingdom, today we want to preach a message called Why the Parables. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word, and uh, we are going to read verses 1 through 17. The Bible says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, about him. So they got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given, for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, That says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We all love stories. Whether it is listening to a good storyteller or watching an epic film or reading a fantastic novel, we are captured by stories. All of us have those stories that are our favorites and that will never grow old. In terms of literature, I'm sure you could guess if you've heard me enough talk about it what my favorite story is, uh, Lord of the Rings, hands down. But uh, nevertheless, whether we're talking about literature or film or or stories that we've heard along the path of life, the stories that we remember most are the ones that have memorable characters captivating plots and universal themes that, that really connect with us, that can make us laugh and make us cry, or perhaps both. Stories that draw us in as though we are a, plot, a part of the plot itself. We love stories, and the reason we love stories is because our lives really are shaped like a story, aren't they? Isn't there always something to share or to tell? I mean, at least in my home, every time we sit down at the dinner table as a family, we exchange stories. 
when I was a school teacher, my kids would often, after we'd pray, they would say, Dad, do you have anything funny or interesting to tell us that happened today at school? Well, that can happen anywhere, but nevertheless, it led to good stories to share with them. And then sometimes we'll revisit our favorite stories, or we'll sit and we'll watch videos that our kids, particularly my oldest daughter, has captured on their phones, and then they'll bring up those memories and we'll have a good laugh. The reason I share all of that is because I think that you can relate and relate to what I just, what I just said. And the fact is, all of us have a tale or two to tell. And that brings us right here to parables and to Jesus sharing these tales of the kingdom. Because the same thing is true about Jesus. In fact, we would say that he is the greatest teacher and he is the greatest storyteller that has ever lived because he is the Son of God. He is the Savior King who told stories of far greater importance or consequence than we could ever tell. And the reason his stories are so important is because he is the king promised in the unfolding story of the Bible. The Son of God who came down from heaven, sent by the Father to save and to rescue sinful people from the domain of darkness and transfer them to the kingdom of light. He is the king that our hearts are all truly longing for. And his is the kingdom. And the reason his is the kingdom is because all other kingdoms are going to pass away and they are going to disappear. When I say his is the kingdom, what I mean by that is, is his kingdom is what will last forever, as the angel told Mary when he announced the birth of the Messiah. And so it is important for us to understand that the reason the parables are important is because they tell us of his kingship, they tell us of his kingdom, and they remind us that my kingdom, your kingdom, democratic kingdoms, authoritarian kingdoms, every kingdom that has ever existed on the face of the earth is going to pass away. And the gospel reminds us of that. And that is why the king told the tales of the kingdom. He told stories. And the stories that he told beginning here specifically in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel, they were called parables. Now, as we think about parables, I'll come to a definition of parables in just a moment. But in the beginning of this series, I, I want to give us some groundwork so that when we begin to dive into the parables one by one, we have the tools necessary for proper interpretation and right application to our lives. So keep a couple of things in mind. Parables, though captivating on every level, parables were designed, listen, not to entertain and not to mesmerize, but to expose hearts, reveal eternal truths, and render grace and judgment to those that listen. That's why the parables are important. 
The parables are the Word of God taught by the Son of God to reveal the kingdom and salvation of God. You need to keep that in mind. That the parables are the word of God. Of course, all scripture is divinely inspired and breathed out by God. And because the parables are included in the four gospels, they are part of inspired word. And therefore, we can say that the parables are the word of God given or spoken by the Son of God to reveal the kingdom and salvation of God through the gospel. And so, the other thing that I, want you to keep, that I want you to keep in mind as we walk through the parables in these coming weeks is I want to remind you that each parable, listen, has an objective meaning that includes something about salvation, generally grace and judgment. It's not to say that there aren't other themes that you'll see, and, but we're not going to categorize the parables. Instead, we're just going to look at each parable And we're going to see grace and judgment in every one of them. And then we are going to learn about Christ's kingship and his kingdom. It's also important to say that as we we work through the parables, that there's no such thing as saying, well, you know, this is my take on that story, but you might have a different take. Now, we all might apply the, the truths in different ways in our lives, But the truth that Jesus wants to communicate in every parable is objectively there. Let me put it to you this way. The parables are not like moral stories, like reading Aesop's fables. You don't read it and just say, so what's the moral there? No, that's not why Jesus gave the fables, the the parables. The parables are not fortune cookies. They're not advice columns that are found in a newspaper. They're not moralistic self-improvement illustrations designed to make listeners feel better or perform to their best. That's not what the parables are. Parables are the truth of God speaking about the kingship and kingdom of Christ. One other thing that I want to put out here in front of us as we go into this series is that the parables are ultimately for the church, for the believer. The unbeliever, blinded by sin, lost in religion, and steeped in the darkness of depravity, cannot understand unless the Holy Spirit opens his or her eyes. And the only reason the believer can understand the point of any parable is because God has opened our eyes through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see that as we move through the points today. And so for true believers, the parables are given to us, hear me, to steer us away from religion and to put our eyes upon Jesus, our King. Religion, I don't care if we're talking about secular religion or we're talking about spiritual religion. Religion, man-made attempts to get to God. Do not put the focus on Christ, but put the focus on self. And the parables illustrate that very point. So in the coming weeks, we are going to preach verse by verse through many of the parables that Jesus told, specifically in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, beginning with the parable of the sowing of the seed, or the sower of the seed, which we read a little bit about today. 
and then we'll work through those parables as we move along. So to put a banner over our, our, our message today, why the parables? Here's the key thought that you get from these 17 verses. The tales of the kingdom, or the parables, reveal the saving truth of the king for those who will hear and submit to him. That's what you see here Jesus emphasizing. Because after all, the disciples ask, why are you speaking in parables? So that's why I think a good introductory sermon to this series is, why did Jesus speak in the parab- with parables? And we'll look at four things specifically. We'll look first at the person of the parables. We'll then look at the presentation of the parables. We'll then, we'll then transition to the purpose of the parables. And then we'll see lastly in this text before us, we'll see the power of the parables. So let's begin with the person of the parables. Now look at verse 1 and follow with me. It says, that same day, Jesus, see this? Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, here's where what we need to do when we come to verse 1, is we, we kind of need, need to go up on our altitude. And we need to get the general context. When he says that same day, he's actually referring to everything that happened back in chapter 12. And so when the text says that same day Jesus made his way out of the house and set by the sea, what we see then unravel is there's a growing crowd that is gathered around him. Why is that crowd there in verse 1 and 2? That's a good question to ask. The growing crowd is there because of the events that had taken place in the previous chapter. And so some people in this crowd were the religious leaders. Some people were there because, you know, they wanted to see perhaps the wrestling match. They wanted to see what conflict was going to erupt between the religious leaders and Jesus and his disciples. And then there were the disciples and others that perhaps were there who were genuinely interested in Jesus' character. So if you go back to Matthew 12, here's what you'll see. And I'll just give this to you in a summary. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees confronted Jesus and his disciples for picking grain on the Sabbath. Just flip back in verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And of course... The Pharisees, who had a long list of codes and regulations that had to be strictly followed, that were not revealed in divine scripture, but was their interpretation, they come and they, uh, they, they confront Jesus and his disciples for working on the Sabbath. And in that dispute, if you just go down to the latter part of those verses, Jesus, what he does is, is the way, he, the, the way he responds is he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath and he highlights to the Pharisees that God created Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, guess what? That infuriated the, the Pharisees. They're angered by his bold disregard for their legalistic codes. 
Do you see what's happening? The religious leaders are not interested in Jesus. For him to say that he is Lord of the Sabbath is almost as equivalent to say he is the author of the Sabbath. That he is the author of the law of God. I mean, if he's merely human and not the Son of God, he would be almost exalting himself over the law. But the Pharisees are not interested in who he is. They're interested in their own prideful positions and their own power grab. So they, re- they obviously are trying to pin Jesus. Well, as you go through chapter 12, it only intensifies. Because what happens in chapter 12, verse 10, is that Jesus comes across a man with a withered hand, and he heals that man on the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, verse 10, the Pharisees asked, Is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And once again, just like the picking of the grain, driven by their pride and their rejection of his kingship, they were trying to discredit Jesus as the Son of God. If he heals the man, he would then be a lawbreaker. If he doesn't heal the man, and then if he doesn't heal the man, he will lose popularity with the crowd and the people. But Jesus, in his brilliance as the Son of God, reverses the tables on them, and he highlights the fact that, well, wouldn't you help an animal that you own that was in danger or needed to be lifted out of a ditch or needed to be attended to? Would you not care for that animal? How much more important to the Father are creatures, human beings, than animals. And then you know what Jesus did? He healed the man. And when he heals the man, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, guess what the religious people do? Do the religious leaders see the healing and the claims of Jesus and say, oh wow, I mean, virtue on the authority of your teaching and your power to heal, we acknowledge you are the Messiah. You are the King. We surrender all of our religious all our religiosity and self-righteousness. We repent of that and we bow our knee. That's not what they do. And if you look at chapter 12, verse 14, what you'll see is, is that they begin to plot for his destruction. They begin to connive and conspire to have Jesus destroyed. And so you take that and you move then all the way to Matthew chapter 13, And by the time you get to the verse that we read just a little while ago, there has been an outright rejection of Jesus as the Messiah King promised in the Old Testament. And so notice the text. What Jesus does is he's still going to teach. He's still going to minister. But notice what he does. What he does is is he went, and, and notice the wording of the text. That same day, Jesus went out. Underline the word went out. He sat beside the sea. That word set, that is the position of authoritative teaching in the synagogues. They would sit, and by sitting, the people would know that the leader or the rabbi was going to teach. So he's in the position to teach. Great crowds gather, and so the crowds gets so large that he gets on a boat 
and on the boat he sits down again and he goes out a little way from shore and he's going to address the audience from that pulpit on the sea. And so as he does that, what, what takes place is the text says that he went out, he's on the boat, he's in the position of teaching, and then he spoke to them, notice, in parables. He doesn't speak to them directly, he speaks to them with stories. He speaks to them in parables, and in verse 3, he begins with, a sower went out. See the comparison? Underline in verse 3, a sower went out. The hint is right there. Who's the sower? The sower is Jesus. And the question is the seed that the sower will sow in the soil. What will be the response to the sower? So what Jesus is doing here is, is that he is giving a parallel. The parallel is clear. He's the sower and his word, hear this? His word is the seed. And what has been the response to Jesus thus far by the religious leaders? They have not recognized him as the king of Israel. And what have they done? They have rejected his word. So the question for the listener is, will they receive him or will they reject him? And so the truth applied when we, when we consider then the person of the parables, is this. Do you recognize Jesus as the Son of God and that His Word is truth? And that will distinguish whether or not you're in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. In other words, the person of the parables is Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. We are not the center characters of the parables Christ is and he is saying something about himself because the kingdom of God is built upon the truth that Jesus is the son of God he is the true king he is the one promised in the Messiah and so we see then the tales of the kingdom reveal to us who he is as the son of God but that leads us to a second observation, the presentation of the parables. Look at the next verse, verse 4 through 9. Now, here, I'm not going to walk through this section. I'm going to do that next week when we walk through the sower of the word. But what I want you to see is, is that here he gives a parable. And so a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good, listen, soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And verse 9 really gets at the heart of what he's after. How do you respond to Christ, and how do you respond to the Word of God? And so the, the question of soil is about the heart. We'll talk about that next week. But what Jesus is driving at is to expose the heart. Follow this? 
And so in the way he exposes the heart is by telling a parable, a story. So that brings us to a question. What is a parable? Before we unpack this verse by verse, we need to ask the question, what is a parable? And so what I want you to notice is that Jesus' teaching shifts to these stories, to these parables. And, and so instead of direct teaching, he provides layered teaching. That's my mic. There might be a parable in this right now. All right. Now I could preach over this, but I'll blow my voice out. So I don't want to do that. All right, that means I can't move much. All right. Well, that verse, verse 9, he who hears, let him hear. That's going to really test you on this one, okay? This pause threw us all off. So what is a parable? Let me define parable for us, okay? A parable is that, let me give you two people that I think give good definitions, and I'll give you a simple definition. John MacArthur says, that a parable is an ingenuously, an ingeniously simple word picture illuminating profound spiritual lesson. A ingeniously simple word picture illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. Albert Moeller writes, surprising stories and word pictures drawn from familiar that from the familiar that powerfully reveal to us the unfamiliar. In other words, word pictures that are going to that are pointing to something deeper, and and so, but I, but what I think is is Leon Morris writes this, and I think this is helpful. A parable may take the form of a story. It may be a simile, using the word like or as, comparing two things that are uniquely different, or it could be a metaphor. It is an appeal from what people know in the realm of li- of ordinary life to trust Jesus, that Jesus wants to teach in the spiritual realm. Here's a simple definition to keep in mind. Ready? A parable, and I've heard this for years by various preachers. I can go all the way back to my high school Bible class, and I can remember this definition given. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. An earthly story with a heavenly message. But the, the, the most, and, and that is the most common and simplistic definition. In other words, what Jesus will do in the parables is he will draw from things familiar to us, and specifically familiar to people back then, but still familiar to us today. He uses a lot of agricultural analogies, like a farmer spreading seeds for his crops, travelers on a journey that then stop in and stay at an inn, a woman who lost a coin. Or a shepherd who lost his sheep. A wedding ceremony and the guest invited to that ceremony. You you see what's happening? Familiar things. Familiar things in the natural world. But in those familiar things are spiritual meanings. 
Now, the, the, the point there is, is that there's simile there. There's a lot of different literary figurative language that we could apply. Sometimes it's, it, it, you could say it's allegorical, but it's not exactly allegory. And in these parables, what you'll see with each one of these, listen to me, is there is usually one great truth. In each parable, there is usually one great truth that centers on God's grace and judgment in salvation. And Jesus wants that to take a hold of us. Parables force the listener to think beyond the natural and to think about the eternal, to think about the spiritual, to look at one's heart in relationship to God. That is what the parables are designed to do. And each parable will cause you to, to examine whether you are clinging to religion or you are clinging to Christ. That's what the parable will do. And so the truth applied almost goes back to what we said just a moment ago. And that is this, receiving Christ is required for the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a second. still with me all right teaching preaching and a whole lot going on here today all right so here's the truth applied when we look at then the per, we see the person of the parables that's Jesus and then we see that he employs parables these stories and that parables are really earthly stories with spiritual or heavenly meanings that leads us to the third observation and the third observation is the purpose of the parables all right, so Jesus told the parable, and after he tells the, after he just gives you all he gave, listen, all he gave in verses four through nine, all he gave was the, the earthly story. That's all he gave. He just gave what is in the natural realm. And so he's not even given the spiritual explanation yet. And immediately the disciples say, well, wait a minute. We know you're the Son of God. We, we know that you're the Messiah. Why don't you just tell them? And so the disciples in verse 10 say, they came and they asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And notice in verse 11, he answered them. Now, here's what I want you to notice. That after Jesus has laid out the parable, the disciples come and they're wondering why he's speaking to the crowds in parables. What the, here's what they expect. They expected Jesus to reveal himself as the Messiah and to speak plainly. But instead of speaking directly, what they're basically saying is, why are you telling stories? Just get to the point. And Jesus' answer is astonishing. So hear me. This is why we know it's not, you don't read parables and just say, what's the moral of the parable? That's not what we do. What Jesus does in his explanation is he divides people into two categories. Those that are in and those that are out, those that are saved, and those that are lost, those that are regenerate, and those that are unregenerate. Look at verse 11, and he answered them, to you, to you disciples, to you that have been called out, 
and have acknowledged me as the Son of God. To you, it is given to you, you have been given to know the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. To those that are steeped in religion, to those that don't see me for who I am, it has not been given to them. And so Jesus' answer would be offensive to our, in, our culture today that I idolizes inclusivity. But you know, here's the gospel for you. It's really the most inclusive message because it's for everybody. But it's also the most exclusive message because you cannot get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You reject him, then you cannot have salvation. And so when you, when you, when, when, as he does, as he gives the, as he answers their question, he's showing us that there are those who hear and understand and those who, those who've been given the secrets of the kingdom and then those who do not see it and do not understand and who reject him. And I find what's astonishing here is, is that it is God that ultimately, who determines it in sovereignty. All people are blinded in their sin. And the only reason anyone sees the truth of the gospel is because God has sovereignly opened our eyes. Like the blind man in John 9, when they said, who did this to you? And he said, all I know is I was once blind, but now I can see. And then they brought him to Jesus, and he could see the one who had removed his blindness. And so we see a twofold purpose then of the parables. Write this down. They reveal truth and they conceal truth. That's what they do. They reveal truth and they conceal truth. Again, drive that down into this idea that the parables can just be used moralistically. No, Jesus is being divinely intentional. They reveal truth. Hear this. He says, to you, to the believer." The secret of the kingdom is given. The meaning of the parable is given. So when he says the secret of the kingdom, what does he mean? Well, what he means is this, is that the key that unlocks the kingdom of God is not be better, do better, try harder, clean your act up, go to church, be moral, live your best life now, or see how righteous you can be. None of that. The key to the kingdom of God is the good news that Christ the King has come, sent from the Father to bring salvation through his atoning death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the dead. And all who repent of their sin and believe on Jesus Christ, submitting to his lordship, forsaking their pride and rebellion, they are gladly received into the kingdom. That's the message of the gospel. If you go over to Mark chapter 1 and you look at verse 14, the Bible says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And what was the gospel of God? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel is what Jesus preached. The good news of my arrival. The king has arrived. And so the gospel that Jesus preached and the secret to the kingdom is himself. It's himself. And the parables reveal this. And in revealing this, help the believer to see that the only reason we believe 
is not because we had the intellect to see it, the ability to see it, but the reason we believe and we know the secrets, look at the text. It says, to you it has been given to know. Do you see that? It doesn't say in you was the wisdom to know. It says to you it was given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Do you remember when Jesus and the disciples were, they were in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16? And he says, Jesus says to them, who do men say that I am? And, he, and, and their response is, well, some say you're Elijah the prophet that's come back from the dead. Others say that you're just a good teacher and a, 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 a moral person, a, 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 just a, a good prophet. But Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to him? Does he say, well, good job, Peter. You've been paying attention. Wow, you, are, you, you really have demonstrated the ability to understand. No, you know what he says? He says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, anyone who sees Christ as the Son of God and sees him as the Savior who has come, they only see it because of the grace that has been given to them through the Holy Spirit. And so that brings you to verse 11. Look at the text. It says, And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, that is who has the secret to the kingdom, which is faith in Christ, more will be given. Grace upon grace. And he will have an abundance. And so in verse 12, what he's saying there is, is the one who's been given the gospel, it's grace upon grace for the believer, the elect, the ones that God has chosen to reveal the gospel to. That's, what's, that, that's what this is telling us. That person, that believer, will grow and receive increase in maturity of faith, as the word takes root in their heart and will produce, produce fruit. Verse 12 is telling us that they become more devoted followers and deeper believers. Is that not the experience of the church under the word of God? Through the ordinary means of grace, our faith increases abundantly and our lives are surrendered in greater obedience to Christ. But where does all that begin? It begins the moment our eyes are open to the truth of the gospel. When we see Jesus as the Savior, the Son of God, who came to rescue us. And so Jesus says the purpose is to reveal the truth. That's what the parable does. It reveals the truth because the believer, through the supernatural working of the Spirit, can see that the sower is the Lord Jesus himself and that the seed is the word of God, the gospel. But the other reason the parable is given is to keep others in darkness. Look at what the text says. It conceals the truth. It says, to you it's been given to know, but to them it has not been given. He has not given this to them. He's not given them the secret. He has not opened their eyes. He's not raised them from the dead. He's not regenerated their dead spirit. He has not given them the ability to believe. Instead, he's left them in darkness. That is, if specifically he's talking about the Pharisee, the one who rejects Jesus. Isn't that what's been going on? Those that have rejected Christ, they refuse to submit to Christ's lordship. They arrogantly trust in their performance and their self-righteous posture. They're left in blindness. They hear the word, 
They hear the story, but all they hear is the story. All they hear is seed, and they hear the sower, and they hear the soil, but they don't get the deeper meaning of it. They don't see that what is being stated here is, is that this is to demonstrate that Christ is the Son, and that His Word is the seed, and that salvation is only through rejecting our religious works and our religious deeds and trusting in Him. They can't see it because they're blind. And God in his sovereignty leaves them in their blindness. They may very well exhibit interest or curiosity. They might have spiritual superficiality. But inwardly there is no heart surrendered to Christ's lordship. They remain stubbornly disobedient. And they are held responsible for their disobedience. And God is not obligated to transform their disobedience. And so the truth is concealed. All they hear is a riddle. It's like in The Hobbit. Sorry, but I have to go there. Remember riddles in the dark? And remember Bilbo Baggins there with Gollum and they're exchanging riddles? And so every riddle that's given, they sit and they think and they think. What are they thinking about? What are they trying to get? They're they're trying to get to what's the meaning of the riddle? But unless you get to the meaning of the riddle, you're just in darkness. But when you can figure out the meaning of the riddle, then you have enlightenment. Well, guess what? A parable, without the the illuminating work of the Spirit, people will just be in darkness. All they're going to hear is the riddle. And that explains what happens when preaching takes place. I mean, I've been preaching for many years And it never ceases to amaze me that you can preach the gospel and preach the gospel and preach the gospel and then you'll come across people who have been sitting and even listening to preaching and they have not heard the gospel. I have sat and witnessed to people sharing the gospel and there's just, unless the Spirit works in their heart, they will not see their sin and they will not surrender to the Savior. That's why we pray for God to save and to work, and to transform. But the reality is, is that the truth is concealed, and they are left in their hardened hearts. Remember in Pharaoh's case? Remember how, if you read through Exodus, it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he refused to submit to the word of God. Remember that? And then you get to somewhere around the, as you get, as you get to the last of the plagues, Remember what happened? It says, and God hardened his heart. In other words, God left him in his stubbornness, in his stubborn, reprobate state. God left him in that darkness. And so when Jesus then says, look at the text, when it says, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The one who has no understanding of the gospel, the one who has not the key to the kingdom, which is Christ, any spiritual truth that he may somewhat see or discern, it evaporates, and then it will be taken away. There, this is a display of God's sovereignty in our desperate condition and our need for grace. The same is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Remember when Jesus said, to, he, he declared, this is after the pronounced judgments against the city of Sidon and um, Capernaum. 
And he says, Jesus prayed, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. Listen to that. You have hidden it from the wise, the religious. You have hidden these things from the self-righteous. You have hidden these things from the prideful, from the wise and understanding. And you have revealed these things to little children, to simple men, to sinners like the disciples. And he says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Look how Jesus upholds the sovereignty of God. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son, listen to this, chooses to reveal him. Wow. And so the purpose of the parable is to reveal the truth to the elect. And to conceal the truth from those that stubbornly reject the gospel in their self-righteousness. And so that's the purpose of the parables. And that leads me lastly and quickly to the power of the parables. Look at verse 14. He then says, indeed, in their case, that is, to those from whom the truth has been concealed, that don't see it. The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You'll indeed hear, but never understand. You'll indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah, he quotes the prophet Isaiah there. And he says that, that what happens here in the, in the religious leaders and those that follow them, their blindness is a fulfillment of the prophetic word. There is a parable. There is a peril. God stands able to heal and to forgive, but in man's wickedness, he will not come. They hear words, as we said, kind of like the teacher in the Peanuts, the, uh, the Snoopy cartoon. All they hear is just a voice, but none will hear. It shows the hardness of man's heart. Unless God works in the heart, men will remain in their blindness. But isn't it good to know that there's hope in that prophecy? There is a promise, and it's found in 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. There's a peril for those that reject and will not hear, but there's a promise. Blessed are your eyes for they see, your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. They, in other words, there were many in the Old Testament who rejected and would not hear. There were others that didn't actually physically see the Messiah, but they anticipated him. And so here there's hope. And the promise is, is that there will be some. Why preach, Isaiah. Why does Jesus give the parables? Why do the apostles preach? Why do we keep preaching the gospel? We have no ability to transform hearts or bring about salvation. We preach because God has promised that he will open eyes and he will open ears through the power of his infallible word. And so we see that God is the one that can open hearts, and the seeing and understanding is the work of the Spirit. And so notice again, but blessed are your eyes. He doesn't say, well, blessed, blessed, blessed is, your, is your intelligence, your spirituality. 
The reason why you all have heard and seen is because, again, you're smart. You are intelligent. You're more spiritual. You're more able. And therefore, you opened your eyes. Listen, the only reason any of us are sitting in here this morning as believers is the same reason those disciples were sitting and hearing Jesus. Because God's sovereign work in our hearts. That's why we're believers. We were dead in our sins. And God raised us from the dead. Right? That's what, that's what he's getting at. Blessed are you. It was the favor of God. And so the power of the parable is seen in the fact that what Jesus explains is really the reason why some people hear the gospel and others do not. And the reason why any of us have heard the gospel is because God has sovereignly opened our eyes. And for those that have not responded to the gospel, we pray that God will remove the blindness, soften their hearts, and they will believe. So if you are a believer this morning, this should cause you to praise him for his grace. And as we walk through each of these parables, you will see it more clearly. And for those who may be in unbelief, you have not admitted that you cannot save yourself, that Christ is the only way of salvation. You should cry out right now to God to open your eyes and give you faith that will rest in Christ alone. So in truth applied, is God working on your heart? How will you respond to the truth you have heard? Will you experience grace with those who have believed or will you face judgment with those who remain hardened to the truth? We need those four things as we walk through the parables. We need to understand the person of the parables. We need to understand the presentation of the parables, the purpose to conceal and to reveal. And we need to understand the power of the parables to bring judgment and to bring grace. And so in conclusion... Our responses to the tales of the kingdom will reveal, that reveal the truth of the king show our spiritual condition. The tales of the kingdom reveal the saving truth of the king. For those who will hear, let him hear. Will you hear this morning? Will you submit to Christ this morning? Will you see the glory and the greatness of the gospel? Will you hear the truth and respond? Because when you do, you can then sing as we have often sung, tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Because they are the tales of the king who came to save. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your holy and inspired word. Thank you for the attention of everyone here this morning. And Father, while we need physical attention even when there's things that distract and don't go exactly as planned, we pray that, Holy Spirit, that you'll work in our hearts and that you'll bring us to that question. Do we see Christ as the king? And do we hear his voice in the tales of the kingdom, leading us away from trusting in ourselves and to trust in him and him alone? God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear that you give us eyes to see Christ in all his glory and that we will not only acknowledge him as the son of God, that we will submit to him as our Lord and King. Help us to do that even today. In Jesus' name, amen.